I remember it like it was yesterday, although it has been almost now 40 years ago. Jack was his name. He was a normal teenager interested in girls and had lots of friends and he had, he had hobbies as well. He was a preacher's kid. His dad was my pastor when I was a young boy at my hometown United Methodist Church. I'll never forget what happened, however, his senior year of high school. It was December 14, 1981, a Sunday morning when I heard about it. His younger brother, Jack's younger brother, was in my, was in my class in school and also in my Sunday school class, my third grade Sunday school class. When our teacher asked my classmate how his older brother Jack was, she had heard that he was involved in a car wreck the night before. Well, he broke his back, said my classmate. I, di- I didn't know what that entailed as a nine-year-old boy. I had, no, what a, I had no idea what it was like to, for someone to break their back. I thought it was like a broken arm, possibly. But I, but I, knew, I, I knew it was more serious when I saw tears in my, in my teacher's eye. He can't move his legs, my classmate told our teacher. And that started this lifelong journey of Jack. He was able to graduate that year, but in a wheelchair. The same wheelchair he has been in for the last 39 years. The same one that, um, that he was in eight years ago when his wife died of cancer. It's the same one he has spent the last almost 30 years teaching, at el- or at teaching in an elementary school here in Oklahoma City. It's the same one he is in today. And by the way, I just uh, saw a prayer request for Jack on social media asking for prayers for him. He has some sores and continues to have numerous infections, and they're quite serious at this time. It's It's the exact same wheelchair he will end up in for the rest of his life. As a third grade Sunday school class, we prayed for Jack that day. I'll never forget praying for Jack that day. In fact, I think Jack was probably the very first person I, have, I had ever prayed for consistently. Beginning at nine years old, throughout my entire life, so now for the last 40 years, I have been praying for Jack. When I heard about his prognosis of spending his entire life in a wheelchair, it scared me as a young boy. I couldn't imagine what it would have been like. I, uh, so, so again, I prayed for him. I, I, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And when my prayers weren't answered, I was confused. I had, I had all kinds of questions. Even, even in the eyes or in the mind of a nine-year-old boy, I knew what it was for God to have power to heal. And I believed in God's healing power. But for some reason, and I couldn't wrap my mind around it, but for some reason, God had, had not healed Jack Whittington. And I struggled with it as a nine-year-old boy. And I'll tell you, I struggle with it as a 49-year-old boy as well. Maybe Jack had done something wrong. Maybe I wasn't good enough for my prayers to be answered. Maybe, maybe our church had done something wrong again 
even to a nine-year-old boy, there were no easy answers. And I know that I'm not the only one that struggles with this. Unanswered prayers have plagued believers throughout the ages, and unanswered prayers still plague us today. A job offer falls through, a, a marriage splits apart, a, a friend gets sick, a, a gets sick. Our, our favorite team loses an important game. We don't get what we want. Unanswered prayers plague us in all aspects. Everything from the things that are seemingly, unse- or seemingly selfish to the things that are mutually exclu- exclusive to things that are simply unjust. We pray for all of them, don't we? We pray about all of those things. You may find yourself praying selfish things. God, I, I really want that home just down the street. I, I, I love my neighborhood, and, and this, this house is so much nicer than my house. I know, I know those neighbors that live in that home are only in their 50s, but surely, God, you can do something. I mean, I know that they're in good health, but and, and I mean, if you take care of the husband, there's the wife, but still, God, I know that you can take care of something, can't you? We find ourselves praying those kinds of things. You may find yourself praying for those things that are mutually exclusive. God, give me patience fast, <laughs> we pray. Or you may just find, simply find yourself praying for things that are simply unjust. God, give me, give me more money. I know there are 1.5 billion people who live on less than 25 cents a day, but I need more. But there are sometimes, there's sometimes when you find yourself praying for things that are, that are unselfish, things that are, things that are fair and just, there are some things that just simply should not be. A young mother shouldn't have to suffer cancer. A, a middle-aged man shouldn't have to suffer from dementia. A family shouldn't have to suffer from a lack of food in this world of abundance. But even in those times when you pray for the right thing, your prayers aren't always answered. Oh, if we could all have the hindsight that the old Garth Brooks song talks about. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Oh, I don't know that I would always agree with that. Sometimes it seems as though our prayers go unanswered. And there are no easy answers when it comes to unanswered prayers. We're, we're in this sermon series, the second in this series of sermons, dealing with things where there is no easy answer. Last week we, we turned our attention to uh, what happens whenever success turns fa- turns sour? What happens when, when life turns southward? What happens when, when bad things happen to good people? There, there really are no easy answers when it comes to that. And likewise, there are no easy answers at all when it comes to unanswered prayers. When it comes to, to us pleading and, 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 and interceding for others, there's, there are no easy answers. And there were no easy answers in the life of Job as well. This, this story of Job is a, is a fascinating story. It's a story that, that I have found so often people of, people of, I think, maybe abused and misused to some degree. In the beginning of this, uh, in the beginning of this story, in the first chapter, Job is described as a man who was, um, who, he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. 
He had many sons and many daughters. He had, he had, God had blessed him with incredible, incredible wealth. I mean, the kinds of numbers of livestock that, he, that, that was listed here was unfathomable at that time. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And so, this, uh, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. This would have been likely the largest landowner in the ancient Near East at that time. No one else would have ever been able to come close to his possessions. That showed, that showed everyone else how blessed he was by God. How blessed he was by God. Again, he was a, he was a good man. He feared God, and because of that, God had richly, richly blessed him. But then... But then we have this conversation between, uh, between the, uh, in the heavenly realms between, uh, between God and Satan, or at least that's, that's how it's uh, termed in most of our translations, the devil or Satan. In Hebrew, uh, this character is called Hasatan, which was the accuser or the adversary. There's debate on whether this was the, the devil as, as we know that character in Scripture or whether it was just simply an adversary of all humanity. But what we do know here is that, again, this is, seems to be uh, as much of an allegory as it is anything. It reads as poetry. Certainly, I'm not saying that Job was not a historical figure, but I suspect, I suspect that one of the one of the reasons for this story was not to teach us how God and Satan uh, use us as pawns on their great board of life, because that's what appears that happens in this story. Satan comes before the Lord and said, well, you've, you've done some incredible work here. And God says, you know who I'm most proud of? Oh, I'm most proud of Job down there. And Satan says, well, you know why you're proud of Job, and you know, why, you know why Job loves you, because you've given him everything. You've given him 7,000 uh, 7, sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and, and, and 500 female donkeys, and you've given him seven sons, and you've given him three daughters, and you've given him more than anyone else in all of the world. I, 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 I would almost guarantee you, the adversary says to God, I almost guarantee you, when you take those things away from him, you just sit back and watch. You just sit back and watch. He'll turn on you. So God said, well, you know what? I don't think he will. And so calamity fell upon Job. He lost all of his livestock. A great windstorm came and, and wiped out all of his family. Not only did he lose all of his possessions and all of his family, but then he was struck with a, with a very serious disease with boils all over his body. As the story goes, Job's friend, they did the wisest thing that they did in the entire book. They came and sat silently with Job for the first seven days, and then they began to open their mouths, and that's where it went wrong. The question that they were pondering and the question that Job was pondering was why in the world has all of this happened? Obviously, he wasn't 
uh, he didn't know about the conversation that had taken place in the heaven, heavenly realms. And so his friends come to him, and, they, and they, they began to offer to him answers to why all of these bad things had happened to him. The first, the first, uh, the first suggestion is that, Job, you must have done something wrong. You, you must have done something wrong. That's, it's, this is sometimes what people say when something unexplainable happens. A tsunami, a, a hurricane a global pandemic, a natural disaster, a sickness or disease or a, or a health condition. You deserve it because of your sin. A number of years ago, I was, uh, it was when our children were in elementary age and we were going to an event. My, uh, Lawson and I were going to an event and um, I was standing in the line at this event and I was relatively new in Enid and and um, wanted to get to know as many people as I could. And so there I was. I think I was the only dad among all of the other parents that were there. It was all, all these moms there with their elementary age children. And so as I struck up a conversation with a woman behind me, she, um, she asked me what I did. And um, I was probably more naive then. I immediately told her what I did. I told her I was a pastor. And, and what do you know? It opened up a conversation with us. She said, you know, she said, you're a pastor. I want, you to, I, want, I want to hear what you have to say about this. He said, she said, the church that we attend, by the way, it was a very large church in that community. They had a, they had a new pastor. I knew a little bit about their new pastor. Their new pastor uh, was, a, was a wonderful, wonderful preacher and a good leader. However, that new pastor had a young son who uh, had terminal cancer. This little boy was seven or eight years old, and um, he, had been, he had had cancer for the, uh, a couple of years, and it, it was terminal. There were, there were no other treatment options. And so this woman who went to this man's church, she said, you know, um, I, I, <sighs> she said, I, I'm not sure how to re- respond to my pastor. She said, I, um, my son here, uh, has, has some health problems. In fact, she said he has a, a very rare form of cancer. And my pastor told me that my son has cancer because my paternal great-grandfather had had an affair sometime along his life, and that's what was causing my son's cancer. I said, now, what, now, now what, what, tell, me, tell me more about this. What, what, what is your pastor telling you? She said, well, he's, he's got this book, and it, and it tells him that there are generational sins and what those sins actually cause later on down in the generations. And so he's told me that my paternal great-grandfather had, had an extramarital affair, and that has caused the cancer of my young son. It's the most extreme case that I have ever experienced by some, of someone saying, your prayers unanswered because of your sin. In this case, it was because of apparently her great paternal grandfather's sin. I, I, I went on and had a conversation with her and, and told her that I did not believe it was because of her great grandfather's sin. I, 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 don't, I didn't know why it had happened, but I knew, but I knew that, God was, that I knew that God was with them. Job's friend said that, that, said that, that it was because of his sin. 
that it was because of Job's sin that he, all, these, all these bad things had happened. And again, some people today say that as well. Jesus rejected that easy answer. Jesus' disciples asked him who had sinned to cause a man being, to be born blind. Do you remember what Jesus said? None of them. No one had sinned that this man was born blind. Now, now, this certainly isn't to say that sin doesn't cause suffering. No, indeed, sin does cause suffering. If I smoke a pack of cigarettes every day for 30 years, you can be sure that I am going to experience suffering because of that. If I eat a, a greasy cheeseburger three days or three times a, three times a day for, for 10 years, you can be sure that I am going to experience suffering because of that. No sin has consequences, no doubt. No doubt. Sin causes suffering and pain, but all suffering and all pain is not because of sin. So I would disagree with this easy answer that, that unanswered prayers or suffering is caused by sin. His friends came to him and also said, well, it's simply God's will. It, it, it's, God, it's God's will that, that you are that you are suffering. Again, it, this answer is, 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 is implied by the story of Job. In this poem, many have even called, a, a, again, a biblical fable. I'm not sure that I would use that terminology. You, you see God and Satan using Job as a pawn in their heavenly chess game, and, and people use the same answer today. Well, you know, I, I, I guess it was God's will that you have cancer. I guess it was God's will that you, that you spend the, the rest of your life in a wheelchair. <coughs> Excuse me, I guess it was God's will that your team lost that important game. And I get where people are coming from. I mean, I get where people are coming from. They are either trying to make some sense of things, and God is the only thing that makes sense in their lives, and so it simply must have been God's will. I think that's the reason most of us struggle with this story of Job. The story implies that it is God's will that Job suffer all of those things, but we just can't bring ourselves to accept that concept. Are we really to believe it is God's will that, this, that his faithful children suffer disease and sickness and suffering? The easy, I think the answer, that, the answer that this is God's will is just too easy of an answer. I reject that answer. I don't think that it is God's will for God's children to suffer. I don't think that's God's will at all. I think God's ultimate will is that healing occur in our lives. I think God's ultimate will is that our prayers are, are answered. That's God's ultimate will, I believe. There are others. There are others that say that everything happens for a reason. In fact, that was, a, that, was another, that was another answer that was offered to Job by his friend. Maybe God caused this so you would repent, they said. Maybe God caused this so that, so that you would repent, so something better would happen. A week hardly goes by. A week hardly goes by that I don't, that I don't hear this easy answer offered in response to an unanswered prayer. Everything happens for a reason. But in this easy answer, there is implied that God causes everything to happen. 
And I don't think that God causes everything to happen. And again, I understand where people are coming from. Since God has given credit for all the good things, then they say God has to be given credit for all of the bad things as well. And since God is all-powerful, we've been told, then God controls everything. Here's how I understand it, however. Somehow, mysteriously, God is in charge. Somehow, mysteriously, God is in charge. Do I believe that God controls everything? Or are we just simply pawns on God's great chessboard of life? No, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case of, uh, at all. I believe, indeed, that God is all-powerful. But there are some things that God chooses to not do because of his power. So this, there, there's a thing called free will. There's, there's a thing called a, a, a broken and sinful world. It's part of God's plan of redemption to set things right. And we're in the midst of that broken world. Things have not yet been set right altogether. There will come a day, however, Praise God. There will come a day when there will be no more crying. There will be no more tears. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ will come and set things right again. But until that day, until that day, we live in this in-between time. This in-between time. Again, as as Arminians, we, we reject the idea that God causes everything to happen. We don't, we don't have an easy answer. We don't have an easy answer to this, but we do know this. God does not cause suffering, and God does not will his children to suffer. Instead, we believe God wants us to experience an abundant life. So this, this easy answer that that everything happens for a reason, that it's God's will, I, 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 well, yeah, I just, I flat out reject. So what do we do then? So where, where are, are we left? One of the most dissatisfying parts about the story of Job is that God doesn't give Job a real clear answer. I would have loved for at the end of Job, for at the end of this story, for God to have told Job, okay, Job, here's why this, ha this happened. But, but Job is never given, given the reason. Instead, instead, God begins to question Job, asking him, so who are, who are you? Who are you to ask me why things have happened? Ultimately, in the end, this was the, this was the answer that God has for Job. Simply trust that's what we're called to do. If there was an easy answer to this, by the way, it wouldn't be included. This, this sermon wouldn't be included in this series. There aren't easy answers. There aren't easy answers when it comes to unanswered prayers. There's no easy answer for Jack Whittington and why Mr. Whittington continues to be in a wheelchair. The kind of impact that he has had on his students over the over the last 30 years of being a teacher here in Oklahoma City has been, out, has, has, been, has been incredible. I can't imagine the kind of impact that he would have been able to have not in a wheelchair. I don't think it was God's will that Jack Whittington has spent 
his entire adult life in a wheelchair. I don't think, I don't think it was God's will for a pandemic to be spread across all of the world. I don't think that it was God's will in your life to experience suffering and loss and pain. But what I do know is this. God has called us to trust. To trust in his goodness. To trust in his power. To trust that one day, oh, no doubt, one day Christ is coming to set things right. And until that time, we're simply called to trust the Lord Jesus. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of rejoicing, in the midst of answered prayers, in the midst of unanswered prayers, we are called simply to trust the Lord Jesus. I don't want you to ever forget this important lesson. And, I've heard, and I know that I've, I've, said it, I've said it so many times. I don't want you to forget this important lesson. It's the rest, lesson of the resurrection. Our last day, or excuse me, the worst day will never be the last day. The worst day will never be the last day. The day of an unanswered prayer will never be the last day. For you see, there is true redemption coming to this world, true redemption coming to your life and coming to my life when the Lord Jesus Christ will set it all right it's a great hope it's a great hope of christianity and that that is where we place our trust would you bow with me